Hello and welcome to Trek Film Society, the show on Talk Film Society, where we take a look at the Star Trek movies with a more critical eye. I'm Mike, and as always, I'm joined today by Diego. How's it going, Diego? Oh, it's going great. I took a great nap before this, and usually people joke about Star Trek episodes that you could sleep through them, but no, no, I'm excited to talk about these today. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm doing great. And Marcelo, how's it going, Marcelo? It's going great. I've taken zero naps, but I've eaten a bunch of hot wings today, so I'm I'm prepared for this episode. Nice. I have not taken naps or eaten <laughs> hot wings, but I do have a nice tall glass of Romulan ale in my what? Spock <laughs> Where? glass. Uh, at least Mike and I are on Zoom video, and I can see what 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 blue liquid is that in your glass, Mike? It's um, Glacier Freeze Gatorade Zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was one time, like, because I used to have uh, what we called the Tuesday Night Movie Club, where we would get together every Tuesday night and watch a movie. I know it's oh what crazy okay concept, but um, <laughs> and when when it came. To watching Star Trek Six, I uh, very thoroughly researched like all of the flavors of Gatorade in order to determine which one most closely resembled Romulan ale, and uh, I forget what that was. I think it was probably the I, I don't remember what it was because one of them was like more of clear and one of them had like a cloudy thing. I don't know, but this is what was in my refrigerator, so I went with it. And, and and we're talking Gatorade, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like Powerade, blue blue Powerade to me looks like Rhymelin Ale. It's like whatever color or flavor that is, that's blue to me. Yeah, that that could have been. I mean, I don't know. Like Powerade is just. Oh boy, that stuff is not good. What? Oh come on! I like How are we getting into this discussion in this episode of this Star Trek series? I love I just, Powerade. I don't. It has I, electrolytes. I mean, so does your Gatorade, body craves. What is I mean, the difference like, between Powerade and Gatorade? They change the first couple letters. Yeah, that's it, right? It's no. It's not, I mean, one of them is Coke and one of them is Pepsi, right? So yeah, well, that's that's the difference. But I mean, essentially, they're the same kind of drink, right? Yeah, but it's like Coke and. Pepsi, like I remember when, like, do you guys remember when they did that big Powerade cross promotion with uh, the Matrix Reloaded? Uh, yes, I, I actually I, kind I, of do. I know that happened, mm-hmm. and I don't remember all of it, but I remember it happening. Yeah, they had like a Matrix Reloaded flavor of Powerade, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm getting that," you know. And I took one <laughs> sip, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is really bad." Well, you don't, you don't <laughs> normally drink Powerade, do you? At that point, I was like, "Whatever, it's it's a Matrix drink." <laughs> well, obviously, you know? I I bought the the Pepsi was it Pepsi uh, 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 cans of a uh, Phantom Menace promotion, oh, yeah. yeah, and I collected Phantom all those cans. Menace. Thank you, Diego. And I I uh, I, 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 I there I was trying to find that Yoda Golden can. Remember that? That's that was one of those things. But of course, I never did because like they're rare. So anyway, I had to drink Pepsi for that, and I am not a fan of Pepsi. I don't like Pepsi. I'm a Coke guy. You could get Mountain Dew though too and stuff. The only thing I remember about that is I had a friend, uh, Zach. Still have a friend, 
Zach, <laughs> who at the time he was like like we went together to see that to see meet joe black just so that we could see the trailer on the big screen for the first time and everything and we watched that and we're like this is amazing and after that he's like i am going um zero dark phantom menace on this one i'm not gonna i'm i'm not gonna watch any trailers any commercials read anything about it i'm just gonna go in completely blind and he had a can of pepsi and he's it's it, it was it was the anakin can and he like he's like takes a sip and then he looks at it and he just it just says on there Anakin Skywalker son of Shmi slave to Watto and he's like slave to fuck <laughs> <laughs> so the Pepsi can ruined it for him <laughs> yeah yeah what can you do it, oh, it just goes to show people listeners don't read anything if you want to not be spoiled by you know. Uh, co- uh, corporate uh, companies, okay, and don't watch Star Wars because that's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> fuck when Star Wars. You could Wars. be watching Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, fuck Star Wars. Yeah, fuck Star Wars. Guy who Skywalkers? Um, you can't do that. You'll die, you idiot. More like I'm, Fall of Skywalker. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> yes, I yes. Burn the child. Star Wars shirt and a little. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Why? Baseball cap. Is that why? Why are you doing that, Mike? You're you're wearing a Baby Yoda cap and a Star Wars shirt. Star What's, Wars shirt. Are you it's... commemorating the fact that uh, Disney Plus today announced that Rise of Skywalker is <laughs> coming to Disney Plus on May fourth? I'm being sarcastic. Don't you guys understand sarcasm? Ah, uh, no. <laughs> Destroy no. the baby. Sorry, sorry, guys. Um, baby Yoda's okay. great, though. I think we can agree on that. Let's let's oh. do five minutes of Baby Yoda. All right, here we go. No. <laughs> Yeah, Baby Yoda is great. Anyway, shut um, up, shut up, Diego. And, and I'm very happy that I got this cap. It's Shoot a New Era baby. 5950 from Hat Club, and it's sold out in 30 seconds. I have no idea how I was able to get it, but I got it, so I'm wearing it. Oh, d- did you love it when those like uh, crazy nerdy boutique shops have like limited window on their online, you know, uh, stuff? I was going to tell you because they had a whole line of uh, WWE caps that they released over the weekends. So. Oh, hello. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you a link. So. Yeah, for my other podcast, uh, Marking yeah. the Marks, and also opened up a kind of podcast now on Patreon. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so they didn't have any Star Trek caps, which is too bad. Um, but, you know, such is life. We may not have caps, but we do have movies. We've got like 13 of them. And today we're going to be talking about the sixth movie, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. All right. So this is a movie, uh, the last movie of the original series uh, crew, directed by Nicholas Meyer, who returned uh, after having directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And uh, there's a lot of uh, weird history behind this one why it took it was a long road getting from there to here you, yeah you because did it what 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 no, nothing, nothing nothing <laughs> you're gonna bring live up in, something live in live in blissful ignorance that's what i'm saying <laughs> no uh yeah guys i have no idea because he uh, meyer worked a little bit on the last was it the last film right no 
What? He didn't. He didn't touch that one. He was like, oh, the one before. Yeah. Okay. He, okay. Yeah. So, so what happened here was, you know, I mean, Harv Bennett, who came in in Wrath of Khan and like saved the movies, like he was the guy who had been doing these things for, you know, he did the last four movies, and this was like going to be his chance, right? This was going to be where he was finally going to step up to the director spot. And it was also the 25th anniversary, so they knew like they had to do something big. And there were a lot of plans. At one point, they were talking about doing two movies and everything. It was it was crazy. But basically, their their number one priority. They knew that you know this cast was getting older, and that maybe it was time for some you know fresh blood and and everything like that. So they hired David Lowry, who wrote Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, to come in and do a, a, a movie which was called um, Star Trek The Academy Years, I believe was the name of it. I, I forget exactly. But basically what it was was there, there would be bookends with the older crew, right? But the main story was going to be about how Kirk and Spock met at the Academy. Um Maybe sounds a little bit familiar. I know it's gonna say sounds. Uh-huh. Familiar. Yeah. Um, th- this is the thing. This is the thing that. Okay, keep in mind this was 1991. Yeah. But they're, they they had they knew who they wanted to play Kirk and Spock, right? Kirk, Ethan Hawke. I could see that. I could see that too. Yeah. This is like pre before sunrise, Ethan Hawke. What, what what was he in at this point? Was he just a young start? I don't even know. I don't know because I mean, because that yeah, was what kind of got him his like break, you know. So not yeah. even a big break, but that's when he was like starting to yeah. really get working. So I, like that's, that's when interesting. That like was like after, what ninety four. Yeah, and and it was like before sunrise that got him the offer. Did, didn't he say like he got a bunch of scripts after before sunrise? Yeah, like, that's when mm-hmm. he got offered Independence Day. <laughs> and he was like reading it with his friend on a road trip and it was like, you know, welcome to Earth. This is fucking bullshit. And he threw the script out the window. <laughs> and then like two years later, he's sitting in a theater and he goes, welcome to Earth. And the crowd cheers. And he's like, oh, Jesus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'll only do it. Uh, Ethan Hawke is like, I'll only do it if Linklater gets to direct Independence Day. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> Just smoking weed with the aliens. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Independence Day, but Linklater's Independence Day? Oh, my God. Would have yeah. been amazing. He's like, let's just rotoscope the whole thing. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. that would be... Um, whoa. <laughs> we're, we're going places now. I'd be down with that. Oh, he was in Explorers and Dead Poets Society. Dead Poets Society. That's, that's, that's the, one. the one. I knew there was one that was early on in his career that kind of, it wasn't like the big breakthrough, but it was like a breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's who they wanted for Kirk. And who they wanted for Spock was John Cusack. Okay. I. It's, it's, it's weird 90s uh, yeah. casting, but I, I dig it. Even Even the 2009 casting is like... I mean, Zachary Quinto was like known for heroes, and Chris Pine mm-hmm. is like fucking Chris Pine. Like, I, I forget. Yeah. This is war. This means war, Chris Pine. So, yeah, I mean, it, it makes even sense. Before that, right? the, only even thing before that in, the only thing that he had been in, oh, oh he was in uh, that um, that Lindsay Lohan movie. Uh, oh, God. I forget the name of it. All I know is that uh, it, 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 there's a band in there called McFly. And. 
the whole time that I was screening it with my friend Max, we just were trying to cast a remake of Back to the Future. That's what we did while we were watching this movie. And little did we know at the time that we were watching a movie with the new Captain Kurt. Like the reca- we just didn't know. But anyway. and he's in like Princess Priories. Princess Diaries 2 or something like that. That's anyway. right. That's right. Yeah. a Disney right. classic right there. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's weird, right? But oh, it could work, theoretically. He, yeah, Chris Pine was in Smoking Aces before. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's right. Ooh, yeah, yeah okay, that's, like, that was his best one before. But uh, He's basically not recognizable in that. Like, I remember, like, going, like, I, I, I've, I've seen Smoking Aces. I, I have that. And then, like, I turned on his scene, and I'm like... You can't tell if that's a Captain Kirk or not. You know, there's no way to know because he's <laughs> yeah. like wearing goggles and, you know, acting all crazy. It's, I it's weird. I forgive you. <laughs> um, if, you <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you know that scene. <laughs> it's weird how my mind works that, of course, like in 2009, I didn't know exactly who Chris Pine was except for like Smoking Aces. But now I'm like, yeah, he's he's a star. And I guess essentially Star War, Star Trek made him that star. Right. It is. It, yeah. It's weird how that happens. I mean, I was just, uh, I was listening back to an old podcast, which was done in like 2000 and I don't know what year is it now? 2020. So it was like 2010. And uh, we we were talking about how there was a rumor that, you know, in Dark Knight Rises, they were going to cast Tom Hardy as Bane. <laughs> and my friend's like, who the fuck is Tom Hardy? And I'm like, well, he was that guy who played uh, the, you know, clone in, in Nemesis. And he's like, oh, okay. But, I mean, like that's like, how, you know, it was just so weird because now he's Tom Hardy, right? Yeah. And, and now he, he's doing bedtime stories on BBC, yeah. which is just delightful. If everyone, if anyone's interested, check that out. It, it will warm your heart. <laughs> but I guess the main point here was. Um, well, I guess I was saying the 90s, I don't know. I mean, the, that 90s casting sounds just as, like, I guess, wanting to be hip. Although, I mean, nothing against 2009 Star Trek, but, like, wanting to be hip type of castings. Let's get the fresh young faces. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, it's and like, that's they're, they, they're not even, like, they wouldn't even have been bad, I don't think. It's just, like, very, no. uh, yeah, you're right. It's very 90s casting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they wanted to do. And um, they wrote a script and everything. Lowry says it's the best script he's ever written. And if you dig around the internet, you could probably actually find the script, but you can definitely find like breakdowns of the script. Um, And the weird part is, is it sounds basically exactly the same as oh nine i mean oh. you know i to the point where you're like did someone read this and then nah, i don't know whatever you know is like one of those um but nimoy and shatner and all those guys they're like we don't really want to come back just to be the old guys who are telling the story you know like we want to be the crew right we want to you know we this isn't how we want to go out and uh you know, the studio was like, well, we, we want them back. We need them back. So we're going to ditch this this uh, script. And Bennett was like, you know, this was his baby. This was what he really wanted to do. So he's like, fine, I'm gone. And he left. And now they were really kind of up against the wall because the movie needs to come out in 1991 it needs to come out for the 25th anniversary and they basically have to start from scratch 
So they brought in Nimoy, and they're like, save us, Nimoy. Will you direct this thing? And he's like, sure. And they're like, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, you know, I got some ideas, Cold War, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, cool. And they brought in like a couple guys to write it, and it just didn't work. And they they got rid of them, and they were like, we need to get this thing locked down. What do we do? And he's like, well, I think we need to call up Nicholas Meyer. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, 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 do that. And he's like, if we call up Nicholas Meyer and ask him to write this, he may tell us that he, he wants to direct, uh, that he, he will only come back if he directs. Do we do that? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. So that's why Nimoy is credited as an executive producer on this and also credited as one of the co-writers of the story. You know, it's because he was sort of like the guy who they brought in to save the franchise after Bennett left. And apparently there's a story about how, you know, Meyer and Nimoy went for a, a long walk on, on the beach or something like that and basically talked through this idea and came up with the the bones of this story. And then um, Meyer went off and wrote it and came back and this is what it was. And then they shot it like really fast. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. So, so that's how this movie came about, but how did it end up? Um, Diego, you've seen this before. What are your thoughts on Star Trek six, the undiscovered country Uh, coming off the critical and financial failure of, again, a movie we did. None of us really hate. It just didn't, work uh right the final frontier you can only kind of go up from that i think in terms of reception uh the fact that it literally like shoots for the stars with star trek 6 um makes it all the better that this is kind of the swan song of the original cast and i think you probably could have done like maybe one or two more movies with them but this is such a fitting solid finale that uh i i couldn't be happier about it maybe i could be a little happier i don't know um (laughs) it's not it's not a perfect film but it is it's a great film and uh definitely one of the best star trek movies uh to date yeah it was definitely designed as the finale i think they knew you know like i mean at that point next generation was in season five right so they were like chugging away and and you know everybody um, loved that show and everything. And I think the expectation was that when the show was going to be over with, they were going to make the leap to the, to the big screen. So it made sense to make this the end. It just, it worked out well. Mm-hmm. So, so Marcelo, you've seen this once before. Yes. I've only seen it once before, uh, back when I bought, um, this whole big Blu-ray. I don't think I... I mean, it's not even a story. I mean, it's just a fact. Like, me and my ex, uh, who was in love with... Um, she was in love with the Next Generation um, series and those movies. And I was in love with the um, original series uh, series and movies. Like we found this big box set of both. I mean, of all the Star Trek movies, like from the original movies to like Next Generation movies. And we bought it. And then we watched it. And a lot of them were first-time watches for me. And yeah, back years ago when I did that, I I watched this for the first time then. And that was the one and only time. And now, seeing it again, it felt like I was seeing it for the first time, basically. Because I don't... I remember, uh, you know, the, the, the main beats of the story. But yeah, just the fact that it's very... 
don't know that it's it's very i mean there's not there's there's action in it i we're gonna get into that whole like klingon massacre <laughs> with, the, with the purple blood but i love that it's just so spread out and there's a point in the movie where like there's like you know four things going on in like four different worlds and and just it's it's a very more I guess intellectual story about like the fact that there's this war happening between like these two big factions and yeah I I don't know I I love this movie now now that I've seen it again and just it's it feels like more fresh to me so um, I'm I love it I mean uh, it's it's a good swan song to you know to to say goodbye to the original cast and yeah it's a good movie to end on and I guess we'll talk about. Uh, the Captain Kirk swan song in the next uh, episode, but for now, this swan song, it's really, yeah, I, it's it's really good. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting watching this one, having just watched uh, the the first two episodes of Discovery a week ago, because in a lot of ways now, that two-parter, that's the beginning of the human-Klingon conflict, and this is the end like this is where they become friends so it's kind of like you know bookends and and stuff and and brian fuller has said that this movie was hugely influential on his development of of discovery and everything and you can see it there i mean it makes sense um you know we were at the end of the cold war you know, at this point in time, and you know that that was actually um, a topic which was of a, a lot of interest to Meyer, and one of the reasons why he decided to do this was because um, the very same year that this movie came out, he made another movie called Company Business with Gene Hackman and Mikhail Baryshnikov, where they played um, secret agents, one American and one Russian, and it was basically the idea was. Um, the Cold War was over, and now they were both out of jobs. They had nothing else to do. They had no one to spy on, you know? And and uh, that movie, even though I think it's really good, I would recommend it, uh, it, did, it did not turn out the way that Meyer wanted it to. So here was his chance to tackle the same subject matter in a completely different way, but uh, still get his his messages across and that's what he did i mean this it was like his second shot at that at this topic in, in the same year and and yet this is the one that that worked for him this is the one that he was like yeah it's good you know so that's kind of an interesting little thing um i i love this movie this is my favorite of the original series movies it's my favorite original series anything i think that it's one of the absolute best star trek anythings out there i think it's better than wrath of khan and all the rest of it i i think it's a masterpiece uh it, it the tone is so like, especially like I kept on thinking of like Star Trek five. And then this, the tone is so <laughs> finely crafted, you know, and there's only one thing which I, 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 it just drives me up the wall and it's only in the director's cut, but on the whole, Oh my God. Yes. I love, love, love this movie. The photography is gorgeous. The music is some next level shit. I love everything about this movie. Yeah. 
I wouldn't say it's for me anyway. I wouldn't say it's better than Wrath of Khan because few things are. <laughs> but I mean, if I were to rank the ones we've seen so far in this series, yeah, I'd, I'd put this at number two. This is a far more. What's interesting is like because I I'm sure this is the case, right, Mike? That this has a bigger budget than Wrath of Khan. I'm guessing. It must have, yeah. 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 Yeah, or if if it's maybe even around the same budget. It just feels like it's more expansive. It's more of an epic. Um, like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on in different places, which I, I don't... It's like, it's not the thing you normally see in Star Trek. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more of a novice than, than both of you guys, but like, it's much more expansive. They have a bigger story to tell. I love that. Uh, part about it and like it seems like Meyer and the, and the screenwriters knew how to juggle each like little story going on and combining it now and it's I, I don't have like a major problem with this movie because I think it just, it's it's a beautiful movie that the story just is like pretty much perfect I have a problem with like towards the end uh, and I, I guess I'll say this uh, this is a good point to bring up at this point I saw the theatrical cut of this um, yeah I don't know I mean Mike is it uh, what what is the preferred version of this movie? This you know the the director's cut or the theatrical cut? Because I've seen the, only the theatrical cut. I mean, it's weird because like up until that Blu-ray set came out, the theatrical cut really was kind of not widely seen um, because uh, the home video releases had um, were, were closer to the director's cut than to the to the theatrical cut. Um, but the there were. There's one major difference uh, between the two, which is like an added subplot where um, I don't know if you remember uh, those guys who go into the president's office and they're like, here's our extraction plan, you know, and it's like if we if we go in, we can, you know, save the hostages with the minimum loss in manpower, something along those lines. Is that even in there? That might not even be in there, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, that it, might be part of the the additional stuff. Um, Diego, okay. what 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 version? Okay. What version did you see, Diego? I also saw the theatrical version. Okay, okay. So did you guys see that scene where he's like, they're like, what if what if uh, we start a war? And he goes, well, then, frankly, sir, we can clean their chronometers. No, no. okay. There's no chronometer right. talk in the theatrical yeah. cut. Okay, <laughs> so so the whole thing with that is there was like basically this guy who actually plays Odo on Deep Space Nine, Rene Aubergenois, uh, Robert Altman staple. Anyway, he is like the head of security for Starfleet, and he's basically like, let's go in and just take them by force and fuck these guys, you know. And um, it turns out that he was in on it as well oh. and and when when the uh the, the, the when you get to the end with the manchurian candidate thing <laughs> and there's the klingon up there the klingon sniper right where scotty bursts down the door and then shoots the guy and he falls through the window uh-huh. uh, like after that happens you see uh colonel wharf right and he's down and there's a bunch of people down looking at the body and this guy, this Klingon, is lying dead on the ground, and you see him bleeding, and his blood is red. Yeah. And Worf is like, this is not Klingon blood. And then they pull off the mask, and <laughs> it's the dude. People call it the Scooby-Doo version oh. of Star Trek Six. And they're like, Colonel West, he's in on it, too. Oh, you know? my God. Uh, and that- that's, that's the big difference. 
That is insane. And <laughs> you don't like that, do you, Mike? <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with that, to okay. be honest. What I don't like is there's a thing which wasn't in there until the, the last director's cut was actually made, right, for the DVD, where when they're doing the Vulcan mind meld scene, yeah, and he's like, give us the names, and he's like, and she's like, General Chang, you know, Romulan ambassador. And, you know, they're doing all that stuff. Apparently, there was some confusion as to who they were talking about because in the director's cut, <laughs> as they say the names, mm-hmm. they cut to like a close up of that person from like a different scene in the movie, which that in itself is like, okay, you know, I guess we know who they are. But then as they cut to that person, <laughs> there's this loud, Clang, like the law and order, like tong tong, <laughs> you know, and it's like, what are you doing? Like, this is like the most elegant movie ever made, and then you're putting this in there, which is like, you know, catering to the lowest common denominator. I mean, were you guys confused? Or even if you didn't know who who they were talking about, were you like, I don't understand what's going on anymore? No, you just rolled with it, right? <laughs> oh. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I just rolled. It, it, it's a little toppy turvy, but it's not like you know. It's not like uh, uh, it's not like this is all of a sudden we're watching like a freaking David Lynch movie or something. Yeah, you know? I'm not losing grasp of reality. <laughs> no, like if you there's... can handle episode eight of Twin Peaks: The Return, you're pretty good on most things. <laughs> I figure there's there's an elegance in how it's shot that kind of surpasses what exactly I am and am learning from that scene in terms of plot. If that makes sense. Because like, I understood, in essence, what was going on. Even though, I mean, I probably wasn't seeing it in the best surroundings. I was seeing it in my living room and my roommate was making noises. But I, ca- I got the sense of what was going on. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't need things to be spelled out to me in, like, Law and Order bongs. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was good. It, 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 that's the one thing that bothers me. But whatever. I mean, I still prefer... I mean, there's other little things which were added. There's only a few minutes. It, it really doesn't make much of a difference. And to be honest, um, I don't think that Meyer even remembers which version. I mean, he doesn't. I know that he doesn't remember because he's like, oh, I can't remember if we put this thing back in or not. You know, like, because he doesn't watch these movies. So it's not like something to get bent out of shape over. I mean, the other thing about it, which is weird for some reason, this movie was shot in Super 35. And um, for the uh, director's cut, they opened up the mats a little bit more. So it's oh, yeah. you see a little bit of extra on the top and bottom. I don't know why they did that, but they did. So whatever um but yeah don't don't get stressed out if you haven't seen the director's cut it's about the same difference as there is between the theatrical and director's cut of wrath of khan uh, didn't you say that who is who was it scotty says an extra line in the director's cut yeah there's there's a scene where they're like talking about like what's going on trying to figure out who it is and they talk about the idea that maybe it was um the the daughter of the chancellor who killed uh the chancellor and he he goes i bet that klingon bitch killed her father (laughs) (laughs) which uh, i know i'm pretty sure i would have remembered that if i'd seen that (laughs) version yep there's a lot of weird stuff you know but whatever it is what it is so Uh, i guess my point was for what this is the theatrical cut anyway um i you know the the only part that really irked me was like the end it just kind of felt like maybe too clean cut and cut off 
and then it and then it's over. I just wanted maybe a little, little bit more at the end to kind of settle things down in terms of like what because like this is maybe this is jumping ahead. Don't even bother answering me. But like I just wondered what was going to happen after all this between the Klingons and the humans and like what what resolution there was even for that. But I guess that's just what you know the Cold War was anyway. I mean there's some resolution, but you know we don't have like finality you know with it. So. And I guess the thing with that and the reason why I guess it's it's not really necessary is like when you put it into like the overall context of the franchise, you know, they had Worf on Next Generation, right? And that was a statement, right? Because the Klingons were always the big bad guys. And then you tune into this new show, which takes place like 80 years later. And they're like the security chief. Well, not right away, but the security chief is a Klingon. And people are just like, what the fuck? What's going on? There's a, you know, and, and the whole, that that's the reason why Roddenberry did that. He wanted to be like, look, we overcame you know, these people were our enemies, and now we're buddies. And and that's, you know, what Star Trek is all about. So, you know, everybody knew, and there, especially by season five, there was enough mythology, especially, you know, Klingon mythology, which had been established in Next Gen, that everybody sort of knew where we ended up. So this was just sort of like the tale of how, you know, we got there the tipping point so so going into it everyone knows like these guys will become friends at some point this is the story of how they became friends yes yeah. which which is i guess was a little hard for me to contextualize because i i forget that this this came out what in like uh, during season three or four of next generation right uh season five if i'm not season mistaken. five okay yeah. wow yeah so yeah, yeah. so it was, it was going for a while and yeah I guess I, I could see why Marcelo feels that way. To me, I, I think it's like a near perfect ending for the original crew, where it's like they did they completed their 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 final mission. Gonna take a last little turn around this star. And we're just gonna sail on home, and that's it for for our voyage. Now it's other people's turns uh, on the Enterprise, and like that that's. I don't know. That that felt like just, okay, we tied a little bow on the original cast. We never need to see any of them again. Whatever happens to them, happens to them. They're no longer part of Starfleet. It's their lives. And I could have lived the rest of my life without having to see any of the other members appear in any other Star Trek media. Apart from, like, cameos or something, right? Like, like that. that, that that's cool when that happens sometimes. Emphasis on the sometimes. Uh, but... <laughs> It, I don't know. I I feel a resounding sense of like comfort and joy in the final moments of uh, this film, but not like not like a warm blanket either. Just kind of like the fact that it could be okay in the future, you know, and that uh, that that's what Star Trek's about. That's that's the pinnacle of Star Trek. And also, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, and and also like just the fact that it has an ending, right? Which is something which you don't get a lot in. I mean, in a lot of ways, Star Trek, which has been going on for so long, 
uh, it, it does kind of have the comic book formula of like all second act. There's a beginning and a middle, but no end. And that's certainly how the original series played out. You know, the last episode of the original series is Turnabout Intruder, which is considered to be one of the absolute worst episodes of the franchise. The idea that it ends on that is insane. And I mean, when you think about it, like Wrath of Khan could have been that satisfying ending, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. But when they decided to keep on going, I think that this is an even better ending. And uh, that's cool. It, it it took 25 years, but they finally got their ending. And I love that. You know? Yeah. And one thing um, I pointed out in our group chat was, and which I did not make the connection um, until just today when I rewatched this movie after so many years of not having seen it, is the fact that Avengers Endgame basically just stole the the the, the, the whole end credit signature of the main cast mm-hmm. bit, and I'm like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I there there's been a lot of discourse, not a lot, just enough. I mean, it's 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 Twitter. I mean, I, I've just read a bunch of stuff about Endgame because like last, well, no, it was yesterday it was like the anniversary of it coming out. So whatever. I mean, I'm a fan of Endgame. Whatever. Whatever, guys. Um, <laughs> you know, Diego hates it, but it's I'm a, I'm a fan of it. No, no it's 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 no, a good no, movie, no, it's, but it's, um, it's not. But that's okay. <laughs> Let's it makes people happy, time. and that's okay. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but it's. Uh, it's not that I'm angry that they took it, but it's it's just no, weird that. No, I'm not angry, but it's just I just wish it were more known that this movie did it first and i think maybe did it with a bit more i don't know emotional oomph than i guess endgame i i appreciated that nice touch and it just felt honest and yeah i i despite the the problems i have with the ending about that whole klingon resolution like the fact that it ends with that nice shot of like the original cast on the enterprise uh, uh deck and you know, th- there's like a full frame shot of like the whole cast l- looking out into, you know, the future, and then it just ends, and then you see the signatures in, in that like beautiful font, and then end credits. I think that's perfect. That moment is perfect to me. So, yeah, I I'm just upset that I, I did not make this connection earlier. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. And um, yeah, I'd appreciate it. If it were more well known, because apparently, I mean, Mike, they owned up to it, didn't they? The I'm, I'm yeah. guessing the Russo brothers were like, "Yeah, of course, we stole this from Undiscovered yeah. Country." Yeah, and Kevin Feige and everybody, they're all like, "Yeah, yeah, we're big fans." <laughs> um, so, because yeah, I mean, that, certainly that was the first thing I thought of when I was watching Endgame. I'm like, okay, because <laughs> like no, no other film is no other film like this has done this right. That whole signature thing, because like that feels very unique mm-hmm. <laughs> well i'm guessing only two franchises have done that right <laughs> so, probably right yeah i feel uh, like like lord of the rings just has no. the, the inherently weird font right the font. Font stuff, I, right? I'm, I'm also doing a lord of the rings podcast on the side so i should know this but no it, okay. it just has there you go that was a test you passed <laughs> i think because <laughs> yeah return of the kings ends with like a nice like not typical um like end credits ends, ends with like uh, illustrations on the side and it's like its own little thing. It's like beautiful. And then it has like two ogres uh, uh, drawn over the credits of like the, the Weinstein brothers. So yeah, that's that, that was their thing. That's 
Lord of the Rings. But yeah, no, I've, I haven't seen any other, any other franchise do this signature thing like these two do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my question is always, like, do you think that Shatner charged them $75 to sign the movie? <laughs> I'm thinking he probably yes. did. I yes, think, yeah. Yeah. without a yeah. doubt. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do like that, that ending. It, it, it really does feel like sort of... Um, the end of of a story which was going has been going on for twenty five years, you know, and time to move on to the next thing, you know, and and that's that's I, I think it it works it works well. Okay, so a, cu- a couple things here which are just well, first off, um, what did you guys think of uh, Kim Cattrall as <laughs> Lieutenant Valerius? I like Kim Cattrall, like I think I know she she was on Sex in the City for. Every season, right? Oh yeah, she was right? one of the okay. main main uh, women on there. Yeah. Okay, because I, I have no context for Sex in the City other than she is in it, and so is just Sarah Jessica Parker. So like, I, I should I watch that for her? Um, or no, I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't know. I've okay. only seen the movies. Unless you okay. guys want to start a Sex and the City podcast, I'm no. That, that. I mean, if it's like amazing, that, then <laughs> sure. But like, I, I don't know. But anyways, uh, no, no, I like her a lot. Like, I, I've been rewatching a lot of John Carpenter stuff lately, and you know, she has a supporting role in Big Trouble in Little China, which is just terrific, uh, and one of the best Carpenter films, in my opinion. So, like, I, I, I think she's just like she always kind of like got it as an actress, but I don't think she ever broke out the way she. She should have. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, the, the thing about that character in that role is, you know, Meyer, you know, essentially created the character of uh, Savick and, and discovered Kirstie Alley. And he's like, I want to bring her back. I want Savick to, to come back and have her be, you know, and, and everything. And Roddenberry was like, no. Is like he Roddenberry hated this movie. Um, this and, movie, yes. <laughs> wow. He hated Star Trek Five and he hated Star Trek Six, and and the reason why he hated it, I mean, he basically hated all the movies because they kicked him out, you know. And he was like, "Ah, what are you doing to my thing?" But he hated he hated this movie um, because it showed a conspiracy inside Starfleet, and his whole thing was. We have evolved past that. There is no conflict between humans. We we have evolved. We we do not engage in such petty whatevers. Uh. It's what they call the Roddenberry box, and it's for the reason why <laughs> writers have so much trouble writing Star Trek, especially in the Next Generation era. Because how do you do a drama when you're not allowed to have conflict between your main characters? That's the problem with Next Generation, and that's the thing that Meyer decided to ignore. For, for this movie and you know like Admiral Cartwright you know who, who's in this uh, who uh, was in Star Trek 4 him being you know part of the conspiracy it's like whoa what's going on so that was just a line which was it was it was too far and you know they they decided to create this other character so that they wouldn't cross that line but I think that that would have been cool in a lot of ways I don't know even though I, I like this character more than Savick, I think that Kim Cattrall is great in this movie. It still would have been kind of cool for that continuity in a lot of ways. 
Mm-hmm. So it was supposed to be Savick in the Kim Cattrall role. I mean, oh. in, the, in the, that character that you played. I mean, it would have been interesting to bring her back for sure. But I mean, I I, I do love Kim Cattrall, although I hadn't yeah. seen Sex in the City. I, I had to look back at her filmography because I knew there was a there's a movie or two that I grew up with with her in it, and those those two movies are Police Academy and Mannequin. So <laughs> I grew up on those two movies, and like she was in those and. I do love her for that. Um, but, I mean, it's interesting that you say that, Mike, that whole Roddenberry box. Because mm-hmm. it's I – see, I, see, I see the genius in it and saying humans – it's it's humans, right? That we that, yeah. that, that what he's talking about, that they'll evolve uh, past the needing to betray each other. Yeah. It's, it's wishful thinking. <laughs> it's hope for the future. Mm-hmm. But will that ever happen? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think uh, so either. And, and can you tell a story with that? Right? Yeah. Uh, it's. I, I, can I, see I the, think you could. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I don't. See, I can see it, both it ways. Yeah. It's just this movie didn't need that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's trying to say something else in the greater context of of, of a series about moving past these things because it still is about like. The evolution of of hatred and anger. I mean, that's that's Kirk's whole arc. You know, I mean, it's finally we're getting some resolution to his son's death in a big way from three movies ago. You know, like that yeah. that was a big thing we kept bringing up as a criticism, and it's finally like resolved in in a fascinating way where he himself as kind of like almost an audience surrogate has to move on from the the preconceived notions of, of bigotry, you know, and prejudice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's in those, and it's like in this, it's a sci-fi story well told because it's through the lens of what's happening in current times. Again, you could, you could, you could do both ways. You can do a sort of wishful thinking sort of, humans involved to a point with no inner conflict type of story and make it work. You also do this where it is a mirror to what's happening um, in, in the real world. And you take lessons from that and you say, Oh, you know what's happening now? Well, well, you know, could very well happen 200 years from now where we're still fighting the same fights over and over, but it's within the, the individual to sort of move past that. And yeah, like you're saying, Diego, like that arc of Kirk finally coming to terms with that hatred and saying, Oh, what's that line he says when he's in like in prison? It's like all he's known is hatred. Like that's why he doesn't want to move past it. Cause that's all he knows. So, and then another line where plumber, um, you know, says to him, oh, I forget it was plumber or David Warner. I forget. But essentially the line is like, Oh, you know, uh, for a newer generation to move on, you know, it's our generation, the older generation, that will have to conform to it. I'm paraphrasing like shit, but yeah, yeah, no, that, no, no, that, you got, you, you, that that line is killer. I have that in my notes actually. I don't remember yeah. the exact line either, but that was the first thing I thought of. Like, we need to talk about that because that's like the best line in the movie. Yeah, and, and I think it, I think it's if 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 we are going to live in a if if there's going to be a brave new world, our generation is going to have the hardest time living in it. Yeah, yes. that that's the line. That's the line, and it's stuff like that where it works in like 1991. It works in the future in like two 
1293, whatever, and it works in 2020. So those stories, I think, live forever because they feel they can live in any time. So that's why I think this frame of, you know, again, I think if you were to write it in in a Roddenberry box, it it could probably work in its own way, but it works in this way for me, the way it is. Yeah, and and, I mean, if you want to see the Roddenberry box in action, I mean... Star Trek The Next Generation. That's it in its purest form, for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so one, one other thing here. I mean, the music in this movie. I mean, we talked about Jerry Goldsmith a lot last time. And this time, um, the, the music is, is a completely different thing altogether, right? Now, originally, see, they never let Meyer just do his thing. They wouldn't let him call Star Trek 2 the undiscovered country. In Star Trek 2, he's like, um, there shouldn't be any sound in space, so all those space battles should just be silent. And they're like, nah, no, no, you have to do that. And in this one, he's like, I want to use Holst's The Planets as the score for this movie, um, which I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with The Planets by Holst. No? Oh, is it's, that okay? Th- this is a strange reference, Mike, but maybe you'll get it. Is that the music that plays during the X Men X Men United teaser trailer? <laughs> it might be the thing that I know it from is it plays in the trailer for Greystoke: The Legend of Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> that's our frame of reference is trailer music. <laughs> no, no, that's true, right? I mean, like the first time I heard it, that's because that commercial was on my VHS copy of Star Wars, and uh, when I was four. And then, like you know, when I heard this, anyway, hosts the planets, which it, it's 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 fucking awesome. I mean, there's a billion versions of it. You can get it on you know Spotify or whatever. It, the the idea behind it, and this was done like a hundred years ago. It's like it's a symphony, but like each piece represents like a different planet right and they do like all the planets and it just kind of like takes you through and gives sort of like a a musical representation of each of these things like venus the the bringer of beauty or whatever you know and then there's mars the bringer of war and that's the one which is like everybody knows you know can i do something unprecedented and just play yeah 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 play play mars the bringer of yeah and see if it's the the thing i'm thinking of yeah all right let me play it yeah, this is it. Yeah. This is the song that plays under uh, X2, X-Men United, <laughs> the <laughs> teaser trailer. Okay, a little bit more. Dun, 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 dun. Let me skip to the middle. Yeah, this is it. So he wanted this. So he wanted like, that underneath this movie. You listen to that opening theme, right? And it's that, you know? It's like <laughs> they were like, do that, but so that we don't get sued, you know? And, and I mean, and that was the thing. They were like, he's like, I want to do this. And they're like, that would cost a lot of money. And then <laughs> he was like, fine. So he hired, um, you know, this, this dude to, to do the score who hadn't really done anything before. But th- I mean, as much as I would have loved to hear like the planets as the score for this movie, like this score is amazing it just kills and and i i absolutely love it 
And uh, as a little bonus for people who may not know, um, <laughs> you know, Meyer, Brian Fuller hired Nicholas Meyer onto the writing staff of Discovery uh, when he, he started it up, because why wouldn't you? And um, Fuller was like, oh, man, you know, I, I really love the score from Star Trek Six. It would be great if, like, the, the theme sounded like that or whatever. And Meyer was like, well, do you want me to give, give the dude a call? And Fuller's like, yeah. You know, so they called him up. And uh, the guy whose name I'm not remembering right now. I got it right here. Cliff okay. Eidelman. Cliff Eidelman. Thank you. Like, he, he was like, yeah, I'll do, you know, yeah, I'll do your score. And uh, Fuller commissioned him to record like a couple of pieces uh, as, as like, you know, like an audition. And then you know, they like send them off or whatever. And then Fuller got fired and then they were like, okay, we're going to, you know, hire Jefferson Russo because he does, you know, freaking Fargo and stuff like that. So of course, you know, whatever, he's the tried and true. But then, you know, after all the, whatever had passed and stuff, Eidelman's like, I've got this music and no one's ever heard it. So I'm just going to release it. So he did. And you can hear, and like, I've, I've like synced it up to like the opening, you know, to credits. It would, I'm like, I love Jeff Russo's score for, for uh, discovery. It's great. But you listen to this and it's like, that would have kicked some ass for sure. That would have been really freaking cool. So it's just one of those cool little what ifs and whatever. Anyway, um, should we move on to the the episode for this week? Does anybody have any other thoughts on on undiscovered country? I, mean, uh, I want to give a, a oh here go ahead, Marshall. No, I mean no, I was going to quickly say nothing big, just some uh, notes on this is a PG movie and it has some of the most violence stuff I've seen in a PG movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, the the Klingon massacre uh, where somebody's arm gets ripped off, sh- shot off. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I'm I'm glad you pointed out that purple blood thing, Mike, in the chat because yeah, that's how they got away with it. Because um, yeah. all the mm-hmm. Klingons' blood blood is purple, and that ending where the snipers, uh, the Klingon snipers' blood is red. I was like, why is that red? And now it makes sense. Now you they, know. <laughs> now I know why. The, I'll I'll make sure to watch the director's cut. Uh, you know, and find out and, and see that Scooby Doo ending. Um, <laughs> but I just want to point out, like uh, Christopher Plummer. Yeah, is amazing in this. Uh, David Warner, I think, is amazing coming back and playing a new character in a in a better Star Trek movie. Uh, um, you got to see if you want to see David Warner just completely kick ass in an episode of Star Trek. Check out um, Next Generation season six, Chain of Command, parts one and two. It's considered to be like one of the best ever, and it's like considered to be one of Patrick Stewart's best performances. But it's basically. Uh, David Warner plays a Cardassian who they're the bad guys and they um, they capture Picard and basically spend the entire episode torturing him for information so it's just David Warner and Patrick Stewart going you know sort of like head to head for an hour and a half it's awesome anyway (laughs) (laughs) my love for David Warner goes a long way because kind of like I grew up with Kim Cattrall and and Police Academy I grew up with David Warner and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2 Secret of the Ooze Uh I was not (laughs) expecting that and also also, along uh, uh, along with like the great casting talk, 
Kurt, Kurtwood Smith. Yeah. As the he plays the Federation president, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wrongly tweeted out, and I deleted this right away after someone pointed it out. I thought that he was a Klingon, but he's not a Klingon. No, no, he's another species. Which, I mean, Mike, I mean, cut me some slack. I mean, he looks like <laughs> he a Klingon. Looks, he looks Klingon. Like, I mean, you know, that that was the thing. You know, forehead of the week. You know, on next generation. <laughs> that that you know, there's only so many variations you can have, and yeah. But yeah, fantastic cast. I, I guess, yeah, my final thought is I love this movie. It's a great send-off. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I saw it for this podcast. And I love the context that... The context we all gave it is... Uh, I don't know. It, if It's obviously seen as one of the best Star Trek movies. So if anything, you know, us giving it more praise, I'm all for it. So yeah, I love this movie. Uh, yeah. I, if anything, I think it's still a little bit underseen. Uh, so I, I think... Our job as Star Trek fans is to keep hyping it up because exactly. it is totally – if it's not in your top three of Star Trek movies, like I don't – I'd be very interested to see what else is up there <laughs> is yeah. all I'm going to say. And a quick shout out to the cinematographer, oh, yeah. Hiro Narita, who uh, who got his start working on projects like – you guys are going to love this – More American Graffiti, the Neil Young documentary Rust Never Sleeps. Okay. <laughs> and Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he contributed to those, and then he was the official director of photography on movies like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Dirty Pictures, The Rocketeer, and he photographed the visual effects for uh, Steven Spielberg's Always. So, yeah, talented dude. Yeah, and you can tell watching this thing. I mean, this is, I think, the best that any of these movies has looked so far, to me anyway. So I would agree with that. Yeah, completely. And and also, I mean, another shout out to Herman Zimmerman, uh, the production designer who we talked about last week, who, you know, when I was watching this, I was like, okay, I mean, for one thing, you can tell, like, they were reusing like every set from next generation i mean the president's office is very very obviously 10 forward the bar in uh in next generation and everything but you know the fact that he was able to take you know they had no time and you know relatively little money and to be able to turn these things around into you know something and make it look as as grand and epic as it did i think really says a lot and you know like i've talked a lot and we'll get into this more further down the road about how like um the jj movies really sort of brought star trek into you know the modern era from like a uh uh, um, a production standpoint, but really, like you look at the production design, the sets, and everything in in this era, and they stand up completely on their own. Like you could have these could be the sets in Star Trek '09, and at no point would you be like, "Oh, that looks cheap," you know? Mm-hmm. They they look great anyway. So, okay, speaking of next generation. Should we move on to our episode for today? Um, you know, Undiscovered Country was the finale for uh, the original series, but really, Next Generation, their finale was not their last movie, really. In a lot of ways, it was the last episode of the show, All Good Things, even though, you know, they, they had a movie coming out, you know, months later. Um, but 
I just thought it would be cool to kind of compare and contrast how the two generations ended. So now, Diego, you've seen this before? I have seen this before. Okay, but Marcella, you have not. No, this was my first time. Okay, I don't know. I mean, should I say this before or after? I'll I'll say this after. Um, but well, well, let's start with Diego. What, what what are your thoughts on all good things? It is close to being the undiscovered country for the next generation. Uh, okay. I will not give my feelings on the films yet, but that's that's pretty much how I feel about this in a nutshell. Okay. And Marcelo, as someone who has how much how much next generation have you seen? <clears throat> this is where I'm going to tell my story. I was alluding to <laughs> off mic, um, part of my childhood, maybe some childhood trauma. Um, I I as a kid never saw the next generation, Star Trek: the Next Generation. I don't know why. I don't know if I was avoiding it or I just I don't know. I I thought of myself as like too high and mighty, but I never saw an episode. But I don't know how I managed to get. Maybe it was like a mail-in offer. I got these like, as a kid, like, I don't know how old I was, maybe nine years old. I, I got these like, these like sheets that had episode synopsises on them for Star Trek. They put in a binder. <laughs> and like, I got like a, like five of them for free. And like, if I were to get any more, they'd charge me like, I don't know, like a buck each or something. So I had these and they're all nice and shiny and I read up on them and I was like, oh, because I, I, at that point I was a nerdy kid who was into X-Files. So like I was into like these episode guides and all this, you know, nerdy shit, but I had never seen an episode. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and then in like, and then later on, maybe a year or two later in a fit of rage, I destroyed these Star Trek episode write-ups, these nice glossy, you know, episode write-ups and they're gone. So... I don't know. I, I cherished them for so long and then I destroyed them because I was just angry one day. So that's my, maybe that's why I don't enjoy or I don't, you know, gravitate towards next generation. It's because that moment in my life, <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> I was cherishing these episode guys of a show I wasn't into at all. And then I just tore them up one day. Um, so that's my childhood trauma story. Mm. Um, and now fast forward to now. Where I, you know, growing up, I I don't remember ever seeing a, a Next Generation episode all the way through until today, where I watched uh, these two episodes, you know, together as a as a ninety minute episode on Netflix. And which, I which it is, it, it is yeah. by the way, it's a it, it originally aired as one episode, and yeah. So anyway, yeah. So for me, and this may be a big. I don't know, con controversial thing for me to say or not. I don't know. But like this thing here, all good things, these 90 minutes, if you were to count that as a movie, it's the best next generation movie in my opinion. Yeah, that's so. not controversial. Okay, good. Yeah, no, no. Okay, so we're, okay. Just to give a little bit of backstory on this one. So Ron Moore, the creator of... Battlestar Galactica, and Branham Braga, who has written more episodes of Star Trek than anyone else in history. They were the young, cool, hip guys on the writing staff of Next Generation, both of which it was their first job. Ron Moore, 
the nerdy kid who grew up loving Star Trek, Brandon Braga, the cool kid who never watched an episode of Star Trek until he started working on this show. And the two of them were the team, right? And they were hired to write Star Trek Generations, which we'll be watching next week. And they spent like a year writing that movie because it was the movie, right? And they were basically like, even though they were on staff for the last season of Next Gen, it's kind of like, well, they're busy writing the movie. We're just not going to bother them. You know, that's their thing. And, you know, everybody else is working. So it comes time for the for the final episode to be shot. And as is, you know, standard, especially since they were doing 26 episodes a year back then, they were running out of time. And it came down to the end, and they're like, we need to write a finale. Who do we want to write it? And they're like, oh, well, you know, Moore and Braga just, you know, finished up writing the movie. So, you know, maybe they have a few minutes. So they're like, do you guys want to write the finale? And they're like, yeah, how much time do we have? And they're like, three weeks. And they're like, <laughs> okay, uh, let's do this. And then they did it. And then they got to the end and they're like, why the fuck did we just do that for the movie? <laughs> because it was so much better than their script for generations. At least that was their opinion. Um, so yeah, everybody, including the writers who wrote both, think this is the best. So that, that, that's that. It's considered yeah. to be one of the absolute best series finales in television history. It's not an exaggeration. I mean, you know, I mean, there's Breaking Bad. There's, I don't know what else there is. I mean, MASH, uh, I guess people like, you know. There's just MASH a, is actually like a really good episode ending. It so is. just, yeah. yeah, that one still hits. Uh, Lost, I think, has finally turned the tide to mostly positive instead of divisive. Yeah. Uh, um, I, six Feet I've Under. Oh, yeah, yeah, one. classic. Angel the Series has an amazing finale. That's my favorite one, if I'm being I'm honest. A, I'm a big fan of the S.H.I.E.L.D. series finale. Oh, that fuck always, yeah, fuck yeah. I always think of that, yeah. yeah. Oh, Justified but, just ended a couple years ago. Great finale. Yeah, but I can definitely see this. At, oh, okay, I have questions, guys, yeah. about this. And, and here's, here's my thing now, now Marcelo. <laughs> here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now that you've watched the last episode, I think... And, and and I'm willing to go on this journey with you if you want to, you know, whatever. I think that you need to watch Next Generation Memento style and just work <laughs> all the way back Backwards. to the first episode. <laughs> Come so on, that I, would be awesome. So now I watch the second to last. Exactly. And, then the third and you to just last keep then... on doing that. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, first thing I bring up is I'm glad that. Uh, Mike, you brought up the fact that after this was going to be Generations, after the finale of this, right? Because in my mind, like, okay, this is a great episode of television, right? But to me, it's not a perfect ending to a series, even though it is a perfect ending to the series. It's not a perfect ending to a series. Does that make sense? Well, it's I, like, it's like, and they, they keep on doing what they've been doing. Yeah, exactly. It's not like a, a final chapter, much right. like uh, Undiscovered Country, where it just, there's some finality to it. Right. Like, they're like this is the last adventure. Yeah. No, this feels like. And the adventure continues. And, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's even more to it. I mean, <laughs> this is just a kind of a, it, it, it's a grand, like, from what I gather, 
and I'm sure this is the point of, 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 of why they added in like these three timelines. It's like a very much like honoring the past and then the present and then the future. It's like in that way, it's a good, you know, uh, capper to the series, but yet leaving the door open for more, which we'll get to talk about in the next few episodes. So yeah, yeah in that sense, yeah, not a, it's not a finale for these characters, but it's a great finale for the show. So mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciate that point, even though, yes, I'm so used to things in a series just having <laughs> an end and people dying and like being there, being finality. We don't have that here, even though it's a great episode. And see, I think it's actually one more difficult to write a finale that's both satisfying and open ended. Um, again, I think that's why Angel the Series, I guess minor spoilers, is my favorite finale because it re-solidifies the thesis statement of the show from the beginning, wraps up five seasons of storytelling in between that. Some characters do die, um, but that's not like why I like it. I like it because how how it reiterates like the the theme of like fight the good fight and you know it's it does end in like a literal like final battle, but it's also the statement of Angel is that the fight will the the fight will always continue, and that like you know the good fight will always like change its shape and form and its soldiers, but it will never end because there's always going to be something worth fighting for. And Star Trek: The Next Generation, I think, has the pitch perfect ending it needs because it's not you know we're talking about the Meyer box about like character conflict and all that jazz and like how much you can really get away with like within the confines of that box. Um, this one takes it like it doesn't try to break out of the box even it kind of just goes deeper and it's like okay then let's you can't have conflict with other people let's see the conflict within you know and i i think that's uh it's so good it it just it totally nails this idea that yeah like their their lives and their journeys will continue but maybe picard will crack open a beer with these guys once in a while and that's like really touching because he is not captain kirk and nor should he be that's not that's obviously that's not a problem i think at this point in history a lot of people might actually prefer um uh picard to kirk Uh, i i I do not I'm, i'm og but that's just me um but i don't know it's it's a beautiful ending and a spectacular series finale for television history yeah, and my favorite finale of, of of a TV series is Six Feet Under, and maybe that's what I want personally in a series finale is to see the end. Just see, just have. I mean, I, I'm not even going to ask if you guys have seen. It. I'm not going to spoil it, but it it definitely has an end. You see ends, so I guess that's why. Yeah, that'll I fuck like you up finale. if you're in the wrong headspace, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so. <laughs> And that that was the ultimate, you know, finale. So, and even Parks and Rec has finale, and because they not go into anymore, the future, right? I mean, what's that? Not anymore, right? Oh well, yeah. Well, well, well although that, I mean, they, as a, you know, as a recording, I think this week they're going to uh, uh, premiere a new episode of Parks and Rec. But I, I'm pretty sure that takes place in continuity, but like before, like the events. Oh of yeah, yep. Yeah, that's the, still the, technically. The ending's still there. Yeah, the, the, the series finale takes place, some of it in the future, so I'm guessing this episode that's coming out 
you know, this year that's in continuity, but like in 2020, not like in like 2040 or something. Anyway, that's besides the point. What I love about this is just the fact that it just stands as like a solid Star Trek, you know, sci-fi episode. The, the, the whole time travel business, I, I'm in love with it. It reminds me of like the best, like, okay. I, I sat down the other day and, and, and watched, um, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, yeah. and also Edge of nice. Tomorrow, like that stuff, and like, oh god, it's 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 beautiful. I love this 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 type of sci-fi stuff it's, and this time travel stuff. It's a wonderful life. It's that's what it is. Is it's a wonderful yeah. life, you know? Oh yeah. Or or uh, Christmas Carol or any of those things. You know? Yeah. So, I, so my my question I have is like, are are all the other Star Trek Next Generation episodes like as smart as this? Because, oh, yeah. hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I oh. mean, like, this is considered to be, like, one of the absolute best. I mean, not the absolute best. We're going to watch what's considered to be the absolute best. I mean, in a lot of ways, Star Trek The Next Generation is kind of like the original series in that it's very episodic and um, it, there's a, a, a wide range of quality, right? But it it gets better as it goes along. I mean, season six in particular out of seven, season six is to me the one where like on a weekly basis they were just killing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's considered to be great, you know, um, just looking at, uh, sort of the IMDB, you know, with like their user ratings and like where this one falls out of, what is it like 177 episodes or something like that? This one, uh, ends up at number six. So it's pretty high up there, but you know, it's a good show. It's a really good show. And at this point, I should bring up because um, his name was brought up in this episode, and and uh, I think at least one other episode. Ronald D. Moore, I love yeah. the guy because I love Battlestar Galactica. Yes, um, that's a favorite show of mine. And speaking of finales, I'm a fan of that finale. There's only one thing about it which I don't like, and it's not the thing that everybody else hates. Um, but we other, need, yeah, other, I need to ask you about that off mic. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, aside from that, it's it's amazing, and I mean that's one of the all time great shows, and yeah, I, I think the finale does work really well. So yeah, so I love that. So hey, Ronald D. Moore has uh, has yeah, written or co-written so on two. You got <laughs> great you got you got to watch just episode three of Discovery. Just the one because <laughs> not only does it have all these things which we talk about, but it, it is totally going after a, a BSG thing. But also, um, Rekha Sharma shows up uh, from Battlestar Galactica, who played uh, what was her name, Tori. The, yes, uh, the yeah. one of one of the the final five the yeah the one oh who's God. like okay before we do this just want to let everyone know you know we're, uh, emotions are high <laughs> you know like that oh my anyway she she she's in discovery so uh, check that out anyway that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about <laughs> hey, uh, Ronald D Moore I guess that that uh, spurred on just talk about. Star Trek and great episodes. I don't know. I mean, like Battlestar Galactica is a really interesting show when you look at it in relation to Star Trek because Ron Moore, yeah, he grew up loving Star Trek. That's what got him interested in writing. He got a job working for Next Generation based on like a blind pitch that he made. And, you know, 
but they liked it so much that they put him on staff. After Next Generation ended, he moved on to Deep Space Nine. That's where he really sort of got his BSG sort of mentality. And then he moved on to Voyager. And after like three episodes on Voyager, he was like, this is not what I want to do. What he wanted to do was BSG and they wouldn't let him. So he left and created BSG, which is what he would have done if he was allowed to do what he wanted to do on Voyager. So there is like this very um, precise through line from Next Generation to Battlestar Galactica in terms of Ronald Moore's career. But yeah, if you love BSG, I, I cannot wait for you to watch Deep Space Nine because you're going to love Deep Space Nine. Anyway. Um, well, I'm going to have to watch it now. Yeah, after you watch Next Generation in reverse Backwards. order. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Any any final thoughts on uh, All Good Things? No? I, I no, mean, it's, it's, it's a great finale. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot more I can ask, but it, it's it's something that I guess I just have to. All these questions, all these questions I have, I guess will be answered if I actually watch the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you have yeah, any specific yeah. ones, go for it. You know, no, right? no, no. I mean, yeah. just 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 uh, the the timeline when when uh, Picard's in the past. I'm assuming all those characters. Don't tell me what happens to them, but I mean, obviously they go their own ways. They either leave the show, they left the show, or they the characters got written off a certain way and i think this does work by itself yeah. like i i could count this as like a movie by itself you know obviously it works on me having no context for any really any of the next generation next story beforehand mm-hmm. it works as a standalone thing um but i obviously i know there it it, it, it sells the baggage it's not a great word but it sells like the character the characters passed well enough where I know, you know, these characters I see in the past don't end up in the, in like the present or in the future for certain, for, you know, for certain reasons. So yeah, um, that's like really the only questions I have. I'm, I'm guessing if I watch the actual show, they'll, I'll, I'll get my answers. I mean, the interesting thing, which, and I debated whether or not to be like, Oh, do you need to, nah. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, the past stuff in all good things is the first episode of the show. Right? Okay. So, so like, I mean, there's even a few shots in there and everything, but it really is kind of like a sequel to the first episode. And the question always becomes like, do you need to watch the first episode in order to watch the last episode? I I always kind of thought you did. My friend is like, fuck no, because here's the (laughs) thing about it. The first episode is really bad. So, you know, you don't really want to watch that episode, but it does give it some context. But I guess you answer that question, you know, do you need to watch the first? episode and the answer is no, no so that's no. that's good to know <laughs> so yeah um uh, one quick thing i find it funny that the past version of um oh my gosh uh, what's the actor's name jonathan frank franks yeah franks franks yeah. is is not there but he's just as he's there as like a like a old video of him younger mm-hmm. i'm guessing they didn't have the makeup effects um, to make him look younger, so they just put that video there, right? Yeah, he would have had to shave off his beard for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it does kind of work because, like, the the way that the show starts is, like, he's on a planet, and we're going to pick him up. 
right? So so all of that stuff from the first episode or whatever is just like before they go to pick him up on the planet. So uh, it, it does kind of work out that way. Um, okay. But, yeah. 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 Um, it, and the other interesting part about this, which I, I kind of went down this rabbit hole while I was watching the episode, but, you know, now we've got Picard on, on TV and everything, and it's been 25 years. So all of these people are now as old as they are in the future stuff of next gen. So seeing like, like my wife is just like going crazy, like with Beverly Crusher, you know, she's like, what did they do to her? Because you look at, you know, Gates McFadden now, and she looks like she's about 20, you know, and like you look at the old age makeup and this, and it's like, (laughs) she looks like she's 95. And it's like, what do you guys think? And and they're all like that. You know, they all aged way better than the makeup artists assumed they would in the show. But yeah, that's, I I had that thought too. That was another question I had was like, what, what, what is like the time span between, like the the future portrayed in this episode and like the future of Picard and it's I guess the way you say it now, Mike, it's similar to like Twin Peaks and how that season three is like twenty five years after the original series yeah. and oh, it it kinda of blows my mind now that mm-hmm. they came back and did a Picard series and they're in that time I mean, I know I mean from the promos of Picard I know um, when in this episode, when all good things you see Picard in the future, he's like doing his his winery. I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah, and that plays a role in Picard. I'm assuming because I've seen those videos. Yeah, and 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 there is like some interesting stuff. I mean, like the big thing, like here, you know, he's got like the the um, the disease, right? The, the yeah. whatever it is, and with the the brain defect. And, you know, in the the present or whatever, they're like, we found this brain defect. It's possible that nothing can happen. It's possible that there could be some, you know, whatever. And in Picard, that is part of the thing is it's like, well, something has developed, right? And it's like they don't specify exactly, but they're like, he's like, yeah, someone told me like 25 years ago that this might happen, you know, and, and, and it is, it's, it's not the same. It could be, you know, whatever, but it it does, it is somehow related to that thing that happened in this episode. So that, that's kind of a, or the thing that they discovered in this episode. So it's kind of cool how they, how they use that, you know, and, and stuff, but yeah. One, one last thing I'll say, and I guess we should end this soon because this is the longest episode ever. Um, <laughs> it, it, it it does for a second before it turns into full sci-fi, like and like Picard gets that diagnosis of the the brain disease. Like it, if you were a darker ending to this would be if it turns out that they actually he actually had that and it was affecting him it, and it was like a sort of dementia. But it would have still made sense in the context like what was happening to him going back through time and it felt very real to me mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of like um there's an episode of bojack horseman that does that too that it deals with like dementia in a very w- real way in its own you know animated uh yeah, way very unique way so that got to me too <laughs> um how, how it could play as like a sci-fi uh story but also in a very in a very serious way like deal with dementia so if that that, uh, that, that got me you know n- n- not in terms of dementia but in terms of like 
I, I guess, I guess, you know, like what is reality and what's not and everything. Yeah. That's another thing which they do in Deep Space Nine on sort of like another level where you're just like, okay, because, you know, it, it, it has the sort of like, oh, it was all a dream thing. But then they kind of continue it and they're like, but was it? Maybe it wasn't, you know, like like one of those things. And uh, it's it's really kind of interesting how they they do that stuff. And uh, it's it sounds kind of like what you you were saying. You, I don't know if you wanted it to be, but what it could have been. They actually kind of delve into that on Deep Space Nine. At Deep Space Nine is everything. So just you know, watch, <laughs> so, watch Deep Space Nine. Okay, okay. Yeah. So so yeah. All right. Well, cool. All good things. Um. Yeah, so next week we're going to be getting into the next generation with uh, Star Trek Generations. Um, and we're also sort of like now, it, this was sort of the unofficial kickoff of like Star Trek at its peak, right? I mean, all good things, Generations, and then the episode that we're going to be watching next week, which is Star Trek Voyager Season 1, Episode 1, caretaker like these three events occurring within the span of like eight months was i mean this is like when star trek was on the cover of time and stuff like that this is when star trek was at its absolute peak and uh, i i don't know i think it's kind of interesting to sort of like see these things together to see like what it was in all of its various forms so yeah that's what we're going to be watching next week um but until then diego where can people find you on the internet you can find me online at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where I'm doing a bunch of retrospectives and uh, solo episodes where I'm having on guests to talk about movies that they're they're really passionate about in a positive or negative manner, and uh, getting some fun debates there. And of course, the the monthly hangouts where we discuss any new releases we could find. Now it's a little <laughs> scavenger hunt. <laughs> oh, hey, they just announced the. Apatow thing is coming to. I, I know, I know. No, so the, the Seth, there's a Seth Rogen movie going straight to. I think well, I forget where HBO but yeah. Max. I think HBO Max. Yes, 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 yes. No, but I, I mean, I don't want to get into this, but I think Seth Rogen can tell the future. Ugh. I think I, I think I saw some of your your Twitter stuff about this, Diego. I'm sorry, but but hey, no. It, it, you know, speaking of releases, th- th- this will definitely time this episode. But like this past weekend or this past week, there's some there's some good releases. You know, out on there's like uh, the Beastie Boys story. There's Extraction. There's Bad Education. Like I mean, there's stuff out there. You just gotta find it. You know, as as a fellow. Uh Bayhem Bros. <laughs> Have you guys watched uh, Spencer Confidential? Oh, I no. tried. I I honestly tried, and I skipped out ten minutes in. So okay, I couldn't right. do it. What did you like it, Mike? I thought it was pretty great. I, I watched. Oh, no, not great. I, I, you know, like I, I like Peter Berg a bunch. I mean, if you've seen his Instagram <sighs> videos with him and his editor working, I don't know if you've seen those. No. A couple fan- times, yeah. They're fantastic. It's uh, every um, creative relationship I've ever had. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, so I watched like the original Spencer for Hire because Avery Brooks, who's the the, the captain on uh, you know Deep Space Nine, he played Hawk on that show, and I was like, I want to check this out. So I watched that. Then I watched Spencer Confidential, and I have to say that I, I had a lot of fun. I mean, yes, it's goofy, it's dumb. But it was a lot of fun. All right. 
I'm looking forward to Extraction because the action looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Extraction. Have you, have you guys seen that? No? Not yet. Not I will yet, see it. Yet. Oh, it's, and I will say, to, to bring it back to Star Trek a little bit, Yeah, Chris Hemsworth is Chris number two. Number yeah. one Chris is Chris Pine. Yeah. Yeah. Did yep. you did you guys see the picture of Chris Pine with his uh, RBG tank top the other day? No, no, I did not. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. He was, <laughs> wa- he, was, he was out for a walk and he has a bandana and a Ruth Bader Ginsburg T-shirt. So, oh, tank, okay, tank top, tank top. So you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, going back to Extraction real quick, Mike, did you yeah. see Extraction? <laughs> yeah, I watched Extraction. Um, hey, the action's really good. That's all. Yeah, I that's want. that's really all well, I'm going for. Yeah, I saw the trailer. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, you know, speaking of Michael Bay, I've heard people compare the two, mm-hmm. and I'm sure six feet six. So I was going to say six feet under. I'm sure six underground is a lot better than Extraction. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. I mean, what's yes. gonna what's gonna? Top? I've been hankering uh, for a rewatch. <laughs> it's it's six underground is way better than Extraction. Anything. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Anything really. Yes, you're right. And and because it's going to be out by the time this thing comes out, Lovebirds sucks, so don't bother with it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Plugs. Marcelo. Where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> yes, uh, you can find me over at talkfromsociety.com. Uh, it's a crazy time right now. Uh, it's It's the end of April. Um, I've, I've done some writing, which hopefully you'll see by now, um, on the sites, uh, what else? Podcasts, uh, hopefully by now, a lot of, uh, Bayhem will be out on the free feed. Check that out. A lot of the Lord of the Rings show I've, I've been doing on the side. That'll be out either in the free feed or Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash talk from society. Look that up. Look us up. Get some bonuses, bonus episodes, commentaries, all that fun stuff, and you'll be supporting us uh, because uh, we wouldn't be doing this without the support of you guys donating to that and reading our stuff and listening to our podcasts. So there you go. That's it. Cool. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage. Uh, And yeah, that's pretty much it. So until next week, are you guys ready? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was born for this. I'm always ready. Are we doing a countdown? Count it down, Mike. Okay. Three, two, one. I... I have had, had enough, enough of, of you. you.